Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Just went and glanced through email. It was from this investment firm. How do I get on their mailing list? I don't know. But it was about making sure that you don't let your investment portfolio collect dust. You know, there, there are certain things that are done when managing an investment portfolio that I would recommend. You know, when you're rebalancing, you can rebalance based on, let's say if I have a, a certain percentage of my portfolio in large companies and a certain percentage in small companies, and let's say large companies do well versus small. Well, we should be, you know, the, what, what, I, what I would look at is going, okay, we should probably be going and selling some of those large companies because they're overrepresented now and buying the small companies, not because of market timing, but because it's out of balance. So what happens is your risk actually changes when you get overweighted in any one area that has done well recently. Because you know what, as well as I do, markets go up and they go down. What follows up? Down. You don't know when it's going to happen. But keeping in balance, the reason you do it more than anything is for risk purposes. If you were to look at how that affects risk, it can bring down the risk significantly because you're not allowing something to take up too much of the portfolio which is the opposite of what most people do. They have something that goes and goes, hey, this is doing really well. Wow, this is great. And they get excited about it. And then all of a sudden it comes down. People always do that. And they, they remember what just did well recently. And they remember the highest market value for anything that they happen to own. It's just our human nature. That's the way our minds work. But what ends up happening when it comes down, you go, oh, gosh, this is crazy. Uh, and then, and then you get upset and then you want to get rid of it. And, and, you know, and it's, you just usually a really bad idea because we, what do we do? We know the golden rule of investing is to buy when prices are you know low and sell high, but our human nature makes us want to go and sell something low and then buy something else that's just done well. And that's how the sales presentations you know, if you look at how sales presentations are normally done, you'll see a track record. You'll see some kind of chart that goes with, hey, if you'd own this between this year, this time and this time, here's how your returns would have been. Remember, there's another huge investment firm here, very big. And I, you know, I, I'd love to just go, hey, this is who it is, but, you know, I'm, I'm not. But, you know, because... That wouldn't be smart. But the thing that they did is they used to choose funds based on their track record by their star ratings of the mutual funds. So they would choose these mutual funds based on what the star ratings were. And of course, you know, you end up with the things that just did well recently. And then all of a sudden, those funds don't go on and perform well because markets go up and they go down, right? And then all of a sudden, they're not doing well. They they perform poorly. And then they say, well, we've got to get rid of that. It's no good anymore. But these are the new five-star funds. And they move to the next thing. 
And no wonder investors have done so poorly in stock markets historically. We see the studies over and over again, how they actually get what their actual returns are investing in the stock market. And it's abysmal, but it sells. You know, when you see, don't let your investment portfolio collect dust like that thing, that email I just got. Well, yeah, I don't want it to collect dust. You know, I got to be doing something. You know, it's like the, the slot machines, the one with the arm where you're actually physically moving the arm of the slot machine is more popular than the one with the button for a reason, because we feel like we've got control. I can take action. I can do something. Don't just sit there, do something. Well, just don't just sit there and do something. Sounds real good. But, you know, the problem is, is that you're often doing something after the horse has gotten out of the barn. And, you know, we, we look at how inflation is going to affect things. The dollar dropping the value, you know, you go, gosh, you, you can't predict any of that stuff. Now, I can sit there and say, well, it's not likely that this will happen. It's not likely that this over here will happen. But I don't even know. And hence the reason I diversify so broadly. Keep the cost as low as you can. You know, don't ignore, you know, so often what happens, some firms just do things based on cost alone. That's all they care about. Keep the cost down. Keep the cost down. And then they ignore invisible costs and you, know, you end up with portfolios that like, you know, the index portfolios that I talk about that they overweight bigger companies and you end up with lower returns there. You know, historically you do. Why? Because you're overweighting big companies that don't historically have to pay as much to use your money. It's pretty simple. You know, as an investor, you can't just stick your head in the hole, though, either. That's where the rebalancing comes in. And when you're rebalancing a portfolio, you do it just completely without any emotion. You sell those things that have just done well recently. They're overrepresented in your portfolio by things that are underrepresented. You know, we do it daily, you know, with the U.S. portfolio and with international portfolios and fixed income. But at least, you know, typically at least quarterly is a good idea. Some people do it annually. I like to make sure that I'm doing it on a regular basis so that the portfolio does not get overrepresented in any one area with more risk than I intended to take. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Now, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I uh, hope you enjoy. And when you think about risk management, you think, okay, so I got this castle and that's my investments. You know, I've got this uh, the set of assets, my 401k, 403b, simple plans, set plans, as I was talking about earlier, IRAs, 
Roth IRAs, maybe a non-qualified account. And you go, okay, so how do I protect all of this stuff? Well, you can, you know, with 401ks and IRAs, you can have some creditor protection in most states. Uh, you know, in, with 401ks, you have in all states, you have the creditor protection. So there are some protections there. But what about, let's say, if you're disabled? Well, you know, you can end up in a situation if you're in a nursing home. Uh, you end up in a situation where your house burns down. You know, so what do you do? You got to put a moat around your castle, so to speak. So, you know, for example, you'll have auto insurance, homeowners insurance, but have you gotten an umbrella liability policy? An umbrella policy, you might have something that goes up to a million dollars. And sometimes, you, if depending on your level of assets, you might have a couple million, three, four, five million. And you, you want to look at that in the financial planning process. How much additional liability coverage do you have in case you're sued? In, in the case of having a, a situation where you're sued for, I mean, you're driving and there was an accident, you're at fault or, or um, who knows, somebody gets hurt on your property, whatever. All kinds of things that can happen. And umbrella policies, that's a big part of it. And your, let's say your health insurance. You know, does it make sense to have an HSA? Do you have access to an HSA and a health savings account? Or you, know, you have to have an insurance plan at your workplace or an insurance plan privately that allows for HSAs. So you're going to have to have a high deductible health plan that helps you qualify for that. But I love HSAs, you know, for a lot of people because you can put contributions in, deduct it. You have tax deferral growth on the gains. You don't have to pay taxes on the gains. And you can pull the money out tax-free for medical expenses. And it's like the, I call it the atomic bomb of finance. It can be really good. And... You can even use it for retirement money later on if you don't need it for healthcare expenses. You know, so you can, and you can use, invest in mutual funds. There are companies out there that do HSAs and allows, allow you to use mutual funds for money that's over and above what you're likely to use in a given year. You know, so you might have some money that you leave back in cash in the HSA because it's going to be really high deductible healthcare plan. And you want to make sure that if you have any expenses that you can pull the money back out, you know, because especially when you're working, because your, your income tax rate's high. And when you're working, that may be the better time to pull the money back out for a lot of people, because if you go and pay those healthcare expenses with after-tax dollars, you might have to earn, let's say, $1,000 to pay a $780 or a $760 if you're in 22 or 24% tax bracket bill. So you have to earn a lot more to pay that bill. $1,000 has to be earned to pay a $760 bill if you're in a 24% tax bracket. Well, you go, well, gee, what could I do? I could go and just take $760 out of my HSA and no taxes, and therefore I have saved that. So it can make a lot of sense to use HSAs for that reason. If that's complicated, sorry, it's, it's hard to explain this stuff on, on the radio. But then what you can do is say, okay, now that, and I've got to have disability insurance. You, know, you have disability, you might have a group plan at work. And if you have group insurance, what's the waiting period? Do you have enough money in your emergency fund to get you through the waiting period on your disability policy? How long does the benefit last? Is it a five-year benefit, a 10-year benefit? Does it go to age 65, to age 67? How does your disability insurance work? What percentage of your income does it replace? 
A lot of times you might see 60%, but it might be higher. You might want to actually buy something else to make the benefit higher because you may not want to only live on 60% of your current income if you're disabled. There may be no cost of living rider on a COLA. So you may have to think about that. You know, so that's something that's important. You know, wills and trusts, you know, have you done the estate planning? That's part of the moat. And then life insurance. You know, you often hear eight to 10 times income is what you can get in life insurance. Well, you know, you might be able to buy up to 15 times income with life insurance. You know, how big of a policy do you need in that? So the risk management aspect is important as well. So you got taxes, you got social security, you got risk management. And, you know, the thing that I like when working with a planner is somebody that doesn't sell life insurance, that doesn't sell annuities, that doesn't sell uh, any of these products you know, like auto insurance, homeowners insurance, because then you're not worried about what they're trying to sell you. And just giving guidance on these things without having the incentive to try to sell you something else. It doesn't, it gets that rid of that conflict that can be there for the sales process. So anyway, it was just kind of fun just talking about a couple of meetings and what I like to cover. And in Maybe the only thing is I'll really get into what an initial meeting looks like. I think I've done that before on previous shows, but it probably bears repeating every once in a while. Type of things that we look at in the planning process, especially when you first meet with somebody and go, okay, how do we determine whether the investment portfolio is okay or not? But you heard a couple of things you don't want to see. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.